Hi, this is Brad Constantine, and this is a podcast recording of the Doctrine and Covenants of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Even though this is not an official recording of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, every effort has been made to be as doctrinally and historically accurate as possible. Every day a new section of the Doctrine and Covenants will be released. I hope that you'll visit this often and be able to share this uh, with your friends. Thank you. Hi, and welcome back to the Doctrine and Covenants podcast. This is going to be for section 26. Okay, I just want to read a couple things before we get into the scriptures. We should recognize the deceptions of Satan that can lead us into apostasy. We can remain valiant in our testimonies and avoid deception. Joseph Smith's concern for the power and influence Lucifer might exercise among the saints continued throughout his lifetime. A warning to this effect that appears in section 52 was repeated on numerous other occasions. An extensive treatment of the subject by the prophet appeared in the April 1st, 1842 edition of the church publication Times and Seasons entitled Try the Spirits. The following paragraphs of that address summarize both the subject and its Kirtland episode as he viewed them. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has also had its false spirits, and as it is made up of all those different sects professing every variety of opinion, and having been under the influence of so many kinds of spirits, it is not to be wondered if there, were, if there should be found among us false spirits. Soon after the gospel was established in Kirtland, And during the absence of the authorities of the church, many false spirits were introduced. Many strange visions were seen and wild, enthusiastic notions were entertained. Men ran out of doors under the influence of this spirit, and some of them got upon the stumps of trees and shouted, and all kinds of extravagances were entered into by them. One man pursued a ball that he said he saw flying in the air until he came to a precipice when he jumped into the top of a tree, which saved his life, and many ridiculous things were entered into, calculated to bring disgrace upon the church of God, to cause the Spirit of God to be withdrawn and to uproot and destroy those glorious principles which had been developed for the salvation of the human family. But when the authorities returned, the Spirit was made manifest. Those members that were exercised with it were tried for their fellowship, and those that would not repent and forsake it were cut off. At a subsequent period, a shaker spirit was on the point of being introduced, and at another time, the Methodist and Presbyterian falling down power, but the spirit was rebuked and put down, and those who would not submit to rule and good order were disfellowshipped. We have also had brethren and sisters who have had the gift of tongues falsely. They would speak in a muttering, unnatural voice, and their bodies be distorted like the Irvingites before alluded to, whereas there is nothing unnatural in the Spirit of God. In reading the heading to the section, Revelation given to Joseph Smith the prophet, Oliver Cowdery, and John Whitmer at Harmony, Pennsylvania in July 1830. This revelation is of particular importance in establishing the law of common consent. The principle which is associated with the restoration of the Melchizedek priesthood finds expression as early as May of 1829. Joseph Smith recorded the the word of the Lord came unto us in the chamber, the upper floor of Peter Whitmer's log home, commanding us that I should ordain Oliver Cowdery to be an elder in the Church of Jesus Christ, and that he also should ordain me to the same office, and then to ordain others, as it should be made known unto us from time to time. We were, however, commanded to defer this our ordination until such times as it should be practicable to have up, to have our brethren, who had been and who should be baptized, assembled together, when we must have their sanction to our thus proceeding to ordain each other, and have them decide by vote whether they were willing to accept us as spiritual teachers or not. All right, verse 1. Behold, I say unto you that you shall let your time be devoted to the studying of the scriptures. 
and this is at the time that they're translating the Bible, and to preaching and to confirming the church at Colesville and to performing your labors on, on the land such as is required until after you shall go to the West. Going to the West meant going to Fayette, New York, which was northwest from Harmony, Pennsylvania, to hold the next conference, and then it shall be made known what you shall do. At every ward, stake, and general conference of the church, we sustain our church leaders. Verse 2, and all things shall be done by common consent in the church. When the scripture says all things, does this also mean that when the Savior meets with the faithful saints at Adam on Diamon, that he will be sustained by common consent to be our king? I think so. If the rule applies to one, it, it applies to all. I think the Savior is humble enough to allow a sustaining vote to the, of those assembled. He would never take it upon himself to be king without a sustaining vote. Continuing verse 2, By much prayer and faith for all things you shall receive by faith. Amen. Agency is one of the fundamental laws of heaven. There can be no forced righteousness, nor can laws and leaders be imposed upon us. As Latter-day Saints, we maintain that it is the right of every man or woman to worship how, where, or what they may. In the churches of men, it is the right of those who form them to determine their doctrines and choose their leaders. By contrast, the Lord restored the church of Jesus Christ, and because the church belongs to Christ, it is his right to run it. It is for him to decree its laws and choose its officers. Nevertheless, true religion always preserves to its adherents the right of conscience and freedom of choice. Thus, the Lord has instituted in his church a principle known as the law of common consent. According to this law, those who lead can do so only with the consent of those who are expected to follow. In like manner, it is the right of those who are to be bound by that scripture and law to consent to do so. Every offering within the church and kingdom of God must be a free will offering. The consent of those so governed is obtained by the simple act of raising one's hand in an affirmative or negative vote when the, population, when the proposition is put forward in the appropriate meeting. A negative vote is appropriate if the one making it is aware that something in the life of the individual being sustained is out of harmony with the standards of the church. Negative votes are not given simply because the one called is not the preference of those voting or does not appear to be the most qualified. It has been said that in some instances, pigeons are called to preside over eagles. In such cases, the eagles must learn to fly in formation under the direction of the pigeon or wander off and be lost. In the meeting at, the, at which the church was organized, just a reminder too that uh, in giving negative votes, even though it, it, we call for negative votes in our meetings, it's more appropriate and better, um, better form if uh, any concerns are given to the bishop uh, after the meeting is over rather than doing it in public in, in an open place like that. So don't. Uh, it's better not to raise your hand but to talk to the bishop later. In the meeting at which the church was organized, Joseph and Oliver were sustained by those who constituted its membership to preside as the first and second elders of the church. The question is asked, what would have happened had they not received that sustaining vote? In answer, we would respond that the refusal of those present to sustain them would not take from them either the Aaronic or Melchizedek priesthood or the keys which had been conferred upon them. This authority would still have rested with them, and thus the Lord would have led them to another people willing to sustain them. Those having rejected them would have closed the door to salvation on themselves. In like manner, the question is asked, what would happen if we as a people chose not to have a particular principle binding upon us? The answer, of course, is that it would not be binding, and thus we would have closed the door in our own faces to the blessings that were associated with it. We could choose, for instance, not to be bound by the prohibitions of the word of wisdom, but in so choosing, we would forfeit all blessings associated with that law. And that was by Joseph Fielding McConkie. Bruce R. McConkie said, Administrative affairs of the church are handled in accordance with the law of common consent. This law is that in God's earthly kingdom, the king counsels 
what should be done, but then he allows his subjects to accept or reject his proposals. Unless the principle of free agency is operated in righteousness, men do not progress to ultimate salvation in the heavenly kingdom hereafter. Accordingly, church officers are selected by the spirit of revelation in those appointed to choose them, but before the officers may serve in their position, they must receive a formal sustaining vote of the people over whom they are to preside. That was by Bruce R. McConkie in Mormon Doctrine. Joseph Fielding Smith said, No man can preside in this church in any capacity without the consent of the people. The Lord has placed upon us the responsibility of sustaining by vote those who are called to various positions of responsibility. No man, should the people decide to the contrary, could preside over any body of Latter-day Saints in this church, and yet it is not the right of the people to nominate, to choose, for that is the right of the priesthood. The priesthood selects under the inspiration of our Father in Heaven, and then it is the duty of Latter-day Saints, as they are assembled in conference or other capacity by the uplifted hand, to sustain or to reject, and I take it that no man has the right to raise his hand in opposition or with contrary vote unless he has a reason for doing so that would be valid if presented before those who stand at the head. In other words, I have no right to raise my hand in opposition to a man who is appointed to any position in this church simply because I may not like him or because of some personal disagreement or feeling I may have, but only on the grounds that he is guilty of wrongdoing, of transgression of the laws of the church, which would disqualify him for the position which he is called to hold. Also, it is very inappropriate, almost scandalous, to not sustain someone presented for a sustaining vote. There is a better way to inform church leaders that a a person may not be worthy of a calling, and that would be to do it privately. I bear testimony that these things are true, and that as we use the principle of common consent of the church, that it's a blessing for us, and I bear that testimony in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See you next time. Bye.